Hello and welcome to the Pants Party, live from our parents' homes. It's uh, myself, Harrison Star, HG underscore Star on Twitter, and Ren Boss, Ben Ross, the man, the myth, the legend. How are you doing, my friends? I don't. I don't think there's anything legendary about anything about me. I like to be kind of as a myth because I'd like people to not know or think I exist. So I, I, I'd like to keep up that persona more than anything. So more mythological than yeah. legendary. Is that what like, I'm hearing? Like Loch Ness okay. Monster, Bigfoot, um, Ronald McDonald, you know, fake things. <laughs> I'm sure people would think that we are uh, clowns at times. We know one person does. Shout out to, to him. Um, yes, I'm keeping the war cold. The, the, the war is staying cold from my perspective with that one. Uh, anyways, uh, big news from us today was the fact that I went to both the Iowa football game and the Iowa basketball game since we last podcasted. And first, I was very sad that Brett Bielema was not also in my presence. So I, I want to pause there, reflect a little bit, Ben, uh, as we, you know, pay tribute to one of the greats. I mean, he's not dead. Like, we'll, we'll see him again. This isn't the last of Bert. You know, um, I thought you were going to say, I, I was hoping, I knew, I, at first I sort of thought the big news you're going to lead with is reportedly Matt Nagy is getting fired from the Chicago Bears, and I am just, oh, <laughs> I'm elated. That's, that's really big news for Uncle Ben over here. Why Why would you be elated by that? I thought you were a, a, a Vikings fan. I am a Vikings fan, and I hate the Bears. I just want them to be unhappy. And as horrible as a coach Nagy is, I think he's got he's like six and one against the Vikings. Like they can't beat him. So incredible. I'm I'm happy to see him go. And it's like I have that. Like they're not going to replay. They're not going to get anybody better than him. Who could they get? Like with all the open jobs. Like I just asked a friend. Ryan Day. Oh my God! I can't believe you said that. Because I asked, I just asked my Bears fan friend who he wants to replace me. He said Ryan Day, and I was like, "There's no way Ryan Day's leaving Ohio State to coach the freaking Bears." And then I looked it up, and Ryan Day is set to make seven point six million dollars next year before incentives, and that's like before if he doesn't win the national championship this year, which I don't think he will, but maybe he could. That would, do you know what that would put him in for? Like, what seven point six million dollars? What ranking that would be for coaching salaries in the NFL? Like in the twenties, it'd be number ten, which I'm shocked by. Oh wow! Like freaking, we're getting Mike Zimmer's getting four million a year. We're getting. A, we should keep him for how little we're paying him. Um, <laughs> but I couldn't believe, you know, just everybody stinks. I don't. Is Pete Carroll worth nine and a half million dollars a year? No, it's just not stupid. anymore. Yeah, not anymore is right. Ah, uh, fantastic. Well. That was, that was a little bit of a deviation. But I think as I sit here, having been to both Kinnick and Carver within the last, call it 72 hours, you were never more right than like calling it Iowa football vegetables, Iowa basketball dessert. There was nothing more 
stark in just terms of like enjoyment of the on-field product, which I think is actually a, a distinct difference than like actually being in Kinnick Stadium versus in Carver Hawkeye because any win in Kinnick Stadium is a blast. I think that 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 is kind of my ultimate takeaway is that when you're in Kinnick and, and Iowa wins the game, it was a fun day. And Christina laughs at me and laughs at us because on the, the walk back and the drive back, we're like talking about all the bad things. And she's like, why don't you just enjoy the wins more? And she's spot on about that. But like you, you forget about the dreck. Like once you leave after Iowa has won and every other complaint is like, you complain about the minutiae which is better than, you know, actually complaining about wins and losses or losing a game you should have won. You're like, oh, Iowa could have lost this way. But you know what? They didn't. And so I think that that's kind of the first takeaway is like both fun experiences, but being in Kinnick for a win, you understand kind of why Kirk Ferentz takes the approach that he does with, oh, that's all that matters. Winning is all that matters ultimately. I mean, yeah, there, there's always been commenters on our site who, to their detriment, they hit the comments six hours after the article's been posted because they were at the actual game. Um, and they always, you know, something stuck out with me is like, nobody was complaining about Brian Ferentz after the game. No, like after a win specifically, like nobody, <laughs> maybe at the time people were complaining about how he, what, went over when he got the ball within 30 yards, um, over touchdowns rather. I think that happened two or three times. One time it happened, he got the ball at the 13, which was the kick a field goal. Um, so that's, that's what's pursued my push to open up an inv- investigation into point shaving. Uh, with Brian Ferentz, but I mean, that's a good point. And like, I learned this during the political cycles of 2019 and 2020, it's like less than 1% of the actual population is on Twitter, you know? And that's the problem it's, for people like, it's, well, me, I, maybe to a lesser extent, I know to you too, cause you're, you're a TikToker. Yeah. Like that's, I don't care if, I don't care if 1% of the people, the population is on Twitter because I'm a hundred percent on Twitter. That's where I live. That is the, that is the bridge <laughs> <laughs> in which I've set up my tent <laughs> and rucksack <laughs> and there's nothing you can do to unseat me from that throne because that's where I live. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, 1% is obviously tiny, but there's still lots of people and on there and everything. But it's like, yeah, are the people who call, who are the, are the most important people are the donors. You, 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 you scoff at the fact that there's, Iowa donors, and I kind of agree with you there, but it's like nobody important in the Iowa football realm is on Twitter. Nobody's they they're making their own decisions. Nobody's reading what we say, but it doesn't matter. It's how this is how the sausage gets made for for what we're doing here, and you know what? And I nobody's without criticism. Like I don't, you know, I haven't been to a game since 2017. Um, sitting obviously you know we want more of course obviously a win is a win it's something we've been hammering home on site all, all year long we have a chance of winning 10 games this year for the first time since 2015 before bowl season 
Um, and like, that's great and everything, but my overall point is I, I want Brian to thrive. I want the team to thrive. I always want, they're my children. I always want more. And it's even more difficult because I know they're capable of more. You know, I know this team has pieces. I know this team has great playmakers and unquestionably they're underachieving because if you just look at national stats and everything like that, they're in the bottom, talk about 1%, they're in the bottom like 8% in all offensive metrics. And like, that's that I just, I, I want them to thrive. These are my children and I know they're capable of performing at a higher level and it's, and I know exactly why they're not. And so that's why I get to point the figure in the direction that I'm pointing at from my bridge. Yeah. And I think we'll, we'll get to that a little more because like it's in stark contrast to like the Iowa basketball game that I was at where up and down Keegan Murray, just wrecking shit. Like he is an incredible talent. So where he's number nine on one NBA draft mock draft now and SI's mock draft give proper credit there. Um, but it is wild because one, I guess, you know, it's, it's apples to oranges in terms of, well, Western Michigan versus Illinois conference opponent, et cetera. So, so I guess we'll, we'll grant some leeway there, but it's just so funny that like, here's this incredible like product to actually watch and witness and the things that basketball athletes do is on a second to second basis more impressive than what football athletes do. And, and I don't, I think that maybe just speaks to how easy it is to watch a single basketball player the whole time for 40 minutes. They're getting up and down and doing things versus a, a football player player. You kind of have to pick out of a crowd. If you don't have, you know, whatever seat you have may make it harder to follow them. Um, and it's a, not a game played three-dimensionally. It's played two-dimensionally for the most part. So it's, it's tricky to, to kind of just appreciate the talents that, that the players have, um, when, when it's just more condensed 22 players on a field. But I I would have considered last night a decent crowd, um, all things considered from the West, from the Iowa basketball standpoint, but still it's it's wild that like as an entertainment product it doesn't get more of the same uh call it benefit of the doubt for some of these uh early season games that you see Iowa football largely get granted when you look at it from a a percentage of the stadium capacity standpoint and this is a a well-worn discussion and I think even having done that, you know, having been to the the game, I do not empathize, but um, I understand the takes a little more, right? Where, hey, 7.30 game didn't really bother Christina or me. Um, Understand why it may bother some folks. But, like, we turned it into an event because it was an event for us. We left where we were at around 4, turned it into kind of an an all-night deal so that we could – you know, enjoy it. And that's privilege, maybe the wrong word, but like that was something that we decided to, to make a decision to make it an event. And if you have to make an event for 20 to 
22 games, it can be a little trickier um, for football than it is for, for basketball. Like what, what I have maybe done with what my dad did, which was work a full day, get to the stadium, et cetera, and then leave. I mean, maybe, but it's uh, a little different um, from a basketball game versus a, a, a football game. But ultimately, like the the price was absolutely worth being there just to, to see the team play. Uh, Keegan be Keegan. Saw a great Tony Perkins game, great Peyton Sanford game. And I think that that's kind of what makes being at a basketball game just more enjoyable from a, a time spent standpoint versus a football game. Because I guess who, what was what was the game? We would probably, you would probably, if you had to boil it down into one player, it was the Charlie Jones game. Um, whereas you kind of have two or three you can maybe point to with the basketball game. And maybe I'm selling the, the football team a little short there, but... Um, watching Charlie Jones was like the main takeaway from the football game. Um, but I don't know. It, it was definitely like vegetables versus dessert. And you kind of understand why Iowa fans have the sentiments that they do as, you know, basketball versus football uh, a little more. So a uh, lot of fun, both games, both days, but certainly interesting in contrast between the two. I'm glad you brought up price. I'm curious if you're willing to divulge how much you spent on basketball tickets. Oh, I'm very willing to divulge. It was 20 bucks, 20 bucks a seat. It was mm-hmm. incredible seats. We got them mm-hmm. day of 15 mm-hmm. rows up. Um, they were such good seats. Like I'm, I'm 100% convincing myself that, I want to go to the Portland State game on Friday after uh, the Iowa Nebraska football game, and that that would be a little more of a the same deal. It wouldn't be quite an event, um, mm-hmm. but it's hard to find good entertainment for twenty dollars anymore that you know you're going to be entertaining. Like Iowa in the non-conference is an entertaining proposition. That's a great point, and I've already. I've got some couple questions I want to ask you about basketball before we go back to football. I would like to say, yeah. you know, I have, I was looking at <clears throat> Iowa's upcoming schedule for, for throughout the rest of the year. And like they play, uh, they play a winter game the Saturday before my birthday coming up. And it's like this winter, it's like, if they're in the hunt, if they're playing well, like I definitely want to try and wrangle a couple of friends to go down there and see them. Cause I haven't seen, Iowa, I haven't been to an Iowa basketball game since I was in school. Even, I don't even know if I've seen, I never have gone to see them. I think uh, when they've been in Chicago or, oh no, I, I didn't see them when they, I think they played like Virginia at the United Center a couple years ago or Cincinnati or somebody. Um, one thing I want to ask is I, I, you know, I, I don't get the, I don't get any type of really TV here where I am in Arizona. I was taking a look at the box score every now and then and I saw like four minutes into the game. I think I was up like 17 to two or 17 to four and Keegan Murray had all 17 points. Is I have a I, I realize he's a lot potential lottery pick at this point and number nine and all that. It's like, is that still not a problem or is that? I mean, how did that shake out? It would have been a problem if he, if I think they were forcing the ball to him every single time, but kind of the game flow was more. Um, 
you know, he got it at his spots, uh, but he was also doing it from a function of, you know, crashing the boards, both offensively and defensively, um, playing a little garbage man, um, hitting the shots that were open. Yes, I think he, you don't want to build 100% of your offense around one player, but I think the way that Keegan is so different than Luca is like, you really do not, he doesn't run a play for, for Keegan Murray. Like sometimes you'll, you'll see him ISO just within the flow of the offense. He's got a matchup that he likes or the motion offense will lead to an open three pointer for Murray. But it's, it's really kind of incredible to watch him do everything so smooth. So within himself and so within the framework of the team concept that it feels more like him cashing in on the inevitability of an Iowa score on a given possession than Iowa having to build their offense around him. Now, to to be clear, this is Fran building the offense around Keegan because if he wanted to build it around Jordan, and there were times that they, they ran plays for Bo Hannon and things got really congested and Western Michigan did a really good job of not letting Bohan and beat him, um, both by just there were times where they were running that, you know, baseline play where um, he'll run back and forth and they were, they were giving it to him. Um, but with Keegan, it's like, he just kind of scores within the framework and a bad shot for him is a one on four fast break that he still gets to the foul line. And it, to me, that's just incredible. Like, for, to to watch him play like that because he the other thing is like how I mentioned basketball is more three dimensional right is watching him at the top of the press you you don't realize how high he gets when he's jumping those lanes unless you're there in person and he because he's 10 11 feet in the air on a you know just defending the press and it's wild to watch him do that as much as anything, for sure. And now, can you talk for 30 seconds on Sanford? Sanford is the most interesting freshman in a while, and this is even after Keegan Murray put together a wild first season, because Sanford simply doesn't play with a conscience, and I don't think anyone, except for a very few people, had kind of like, the beat on the type of player that Sanford is. Um, The thing that I noticed being there that you can kind of tell on TV, but you don't necessarily realize unless you're in person is how high and quick his release is. Like, I mean, it's wild how quickly he gets shots up for someone who's six, seven. And he, he did look all at six, seven. I think some of Iowa's guards looked smaller um, Tucson, Bohannon, Connor all looked a little smaller than their listed late listed heights. Um, but broadly speaking, like Sanford kind of looks the part. Um, and I, again, it's like, uh, how much stock can you put into a game against Western Michigan? They still score like the number of players that can score on this team. It genuinely blows me away. It, it really does because, you know, you, you look at past Iowa teams and 
they're struggling to score once you kind of get into garbage time. Not anymore, man. So I know it's a little early for, you know, Iowa hasn't really played anybody. I think somebody said we're playing tuna cans um, on Twitter, which I think is actually really funny. I want to, I'm going to steal that. (laughs) Um, I think irrational Hawk was a tweeter who tweeted that. Um, And I know people have been hurt. People have been sick. Um, But going into, let's say mid December, no, not mid December, let's say early January, and it's you, lots of things can change in between now and then, but like, who do you want to see the starting five? And then who do you want to be maybe sixth and seventh off the bench? I mean, I think that the right starting five is the right starting five with, with Patrick really? in there instead of Connor. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, I think that the thing that was, so you're not a, you're not a Perkins, Perkins. Yeah. You're not a Perkins over Bohannon guy which I think you're about to get into before I cut you off. Not that explicitly. Like, I think, I think the way Bohannon needs to be used is like as a bench player, but you can start him. Like if he's, if he's got it within the first two minutes, you know, you can ride him for eight to 12 minutes um, offensively. Saw a little more defense from him last night, which was a function of him being pretty active in the press. Uh, Maybe it's also a function of, seeing the type of defense that Tony Perkins and Peyton Sanford and Aaron Eulis play behind him um, and seeing, oh, I actually need to step up my game here. But I, I think the the right starting lineup is there. Um, I think if you're going to get one for one, Connor for Patrick isn't as bad as I thought it would be. And I also think if you we're going to not start Bohannon. The guy to start would be Sanford because he brings such a different size to that position without necessarily playing slow. Um, he's, he's a smart player. He's got that shooter's mentality. Um, and Perkins, he goes so hard, so fast, so often that I think he would – I don't know if you can have two players like that in the starting lineup between him and Toussaint, where now you have both guys gassed. I think those two are are actually the the defenders that you need to stagger a little more because Eulis plays laid back uh, in the sense that he's very controlled, but he's also in passing lanes and getting to his spots and getting guys open. Um, so I, I think it's the right starting lineup. Um, I know there's probably talk about like, I know the sentiment about like Rabracha is um, underwhelming. Like, I think that that's the, the thing, but I'm not concerned about him. If, if Fran wanted to build an offense where Rabracha needed to get 16 points, he could. But I think a lot of credit goes to that kid going from where he did at North Dakota, being that, you know, double digit score, um, second team all conference or whatever, to, really playing within his role at Iowa. Um, I think that that is really valuable in, in a way that um, people undersell because like he doesn't need to touch the ball to impact games. And I think when you have a player like Keegan having as many of those types of players around him, it's important. And not to diminish his ability, but at the same time, isn't there really not a second option after a broad show? Like, don't we kind of have to start him? 
you have to start. I mean, the, the way you would do that is you would probably put either Chris in there. I was thinking um, Chris, or, yeah. Or you would um, slide uh, Keegan down to the five and maybe something like Sanford in there um, because then you would you would be really you, – you wouldn't lose that much length and you would maybe gain a tick of athleticism with Sanford in there instead of Rebracha. But Rebracha is just – he, he does everything that you would kind of want him to do. I feel like he's going to get into – he's going to needle some of those bigger opponents that Iowa will have. I'm really looking forward to the Illinois game in a couple weeks. Um, and, like, I, I think when you look at it from a preseason expectations to, hey, we're through five games, how have they changed? I was really resigned to going 0-3 in this upcoming stretch where – um, Virginia at Virginia at Purdue, Illinois. I think one game is now the expectation out of that, and if you and two is a possibility in a way that I didn't necessarily consider at the beginning of the season. I still think that Purdue game is close to unwinnable, but there's a path for Iowa to play. Stretch out Edie and Williams, um, press almost a hundred percent of the time like they did last night. And maybe you can steal that one. I, I would be blown away if they could, but um, I, it, it's just interesting. Like what being there does, you feel a little more invested in the team. Um, I know Christina kind of joked about how I haven't watched a game with you yet. I'm like, well, why would you? And it's like, well, now I want to, because, you know, I've seen the kids. I, I watch them. I, I, uh, know who they are a little more. Um, got my Carver cone after a long wait. Um, so uh, it was, I, I mean, it was just, it was a blast to be there. And I think that the expectations, at least within myself, are, are rising a little bit. And I think that getting to the tournament would be a huge, still a, still a huge accomplishment for this bunch. But I, I'm, I'm thinking that they can be pretty good um, outside of just getting there. So it, again, the, the first test comes in, in about a week. So we'll, we'll see if all of this really is just fool's gold against really bad opponents, but we've seen teams not play well against really bad opponents, like Rutgers lost to sacred heart or something insane. So, um, you know, the fact that Iowa doesn't have like a true, like returning, starters like Rutgers does like they have Harper Jr. back they have Geo Baker back um and they lose a a tuna can not even a tomato can a tuna can um you know that I think that bodes well for Iowa whether we we want to engage in oh a total change in expectations or not um I think if Fran knew what he had he might have scheduled a little tougher um but I also don't know if he would have gotten such good play out of guys like Sanford and Perkins the last couple of games and Keegan going supernova. Maybe getting him to that level needed to be a function of like understanding how good they can be um, against lesser competition. So more to come for sure. 
I mean, I'm not too disappointed with the strength of schedule so far. It's it's not our fault. Virginia stinks all of a sudden. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> like we're kind of like football. It's like we're kind of married to Iowa State playing them. It's not our. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I have no idea how they're doing so far this year. Uh, Utah State. I know they already have a loss, but it's like what? Didn't Illinois lose by 20 to Cincinnati last night? Um, and they've yeah, got like they lost Marquette too. And they they got Coffee Colburn on there and. Michigan has looked very mortal, uh, which is unfortunate because I put a lot of money on them to win the whole thing for, as a preseason bet. But like, I mean, they can figure it out. Um, and like, it's like, like Big Ten basketball, like what Purdue's number six right now. It's like they, they the strength of schedule comes there, even though in March it kind of the Big Ten being overrated is kind of coming true every year, year and again. But um, I'm ready to get behind a friend in this team. You know, I, I've always liked basketball. So I'm looking forward to finally getting my first taste of watching them. I think is a Monday or Tuesday they play Virginia. I think it's next Tuesday. Um, Tuesday. Yeah, I think let me, let me pop this up, get the, and I think the full backtrack. While you do that, I'm going at three o'clock local time for me in Arizona. I think Wisconsin plays Houston. Um, and Ooh. I get, luckily I'm working seven to three right now. So I'm going to go straight to the pool, I think, and, and see what, see, I was noodling on this take last night. It's Brad Davison, Wisconsin's version of Jordan Bohannon, where he's just lived long enough to become the villain. So I don't, the difference with Brad Davison is that kid's always been the villain. And not even Wisconsin fans. I mean, there's some Iowa fans who don't like him for Bohannon, I mean, but like even, I don't know, do Wisconsin fans like Davison? I'm not sure. Oh, oh. That's what I mean. Now that, that's the better question. Would, like if are he's there, the are heel, there, more there, heel than Bill. Yeah. Are there Wisconsin fans flaming their own SB Nation account for when they tweet something totally fair about Brad Davison's horrible play? I don't know. That's a subtweet of a subtweet. Probably. I know, I know. We're we're getting hat on a hat through the looking glass right now. Um, the game is Monday at six p.m. Um, at Virginia. So, I guess let's get the date on that too. Monday the 29th of November. So, yeah, I mean, I think Brad Davison. I don't really want to get into it, but like, I just think Jordan Bohannon had a very online take. Like, I, I think that that's. That's what that was in the press conference on on Friday. Like, I can understand if his only view viewing of Blackheart Gold Pants is our Twitter account and searching his name on Twitter after games and finding, you know, takes that maybe disparages defense or take note of when he's not feeling it from the three point line, but broad strokes we have been very complimentary of our in our writing of him i called him a star on this team uh most recently so you know i mean it goes back his whole career we've we've written well about him but if his only view of black art gold pants is through twitter you know like you said it's the we're part of the one percent uh on twitter where it's like a microcosm. I will say what was funny was when I went to the tailgate at like the Arkansas game, we were right next to Iowa fans and the sentiment of Bohannon is it's, it's all over the place, 
all over the place. And I'll just I'll just go ahead and leave it at that. Like I, I don't really want to get into any type of feud. I think he brings what this team needs. If he can continue to have games where he gets three steals, then I think you're going to see the sentiment around him be a lot different. But uh, it's what it is. Like I think I'll put a lid. I'll put a lid on our basketball conversation with one question. You just yes. called, you know, Jordan Bohannon a star. What happens to stars, Harrison? They eventually fizzle, right? I mean, yep, they die. They flame out and die. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. 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 Well. Anyways, I guess football now. I mean, uh, that that was a good extended basketball discussion. I, I like that. That was that was that was probably needed um, because the football team. I have not been able to watch this rewatch this game as I kind of intended to, but I've also kind of noodled around the the idea that do I really want to rewatch that game? Being there was enough. Mm-hmm. Listening to the preteen makes snide comments about uh, Brian Ferentz just brought me life every 15 minutes. It was just incredible stuff. After Charlie Jones punt return, the kid said, that's how you take Brian Ferentz out of the game plan. And really that just kind of summed it up from an offensive standpoint. Although like, I mean, you take out the, the really bad plays that are attributed to the run game. Iowa did go over 200 yards um, with, kind of a big perform a big but quiet performance from from Tyler Goodson and Gavin Williams played well and everyone's hands turned to stone. I'm really excited about the Goodson Williams one two punch for next year, you know. Um, I really like the way Gavin Williams runs and here I am talking about you know maybe the seventh seventh most important player from, <laughs> from Saturday's game. Um, something I was just sort of noodling on and the stats absolutely don't back this up, but I can't remember a time since probably Akram Wadley in 2016, uh, or maybe 17 rather, uh, where there's just been such a clear MVP to the offense. Uh, and this is Charlie Jones I'm talking about here, but, but Charlie Jones, obviously his punt and kick returning, you have to factor that into I mean, just because his numbers are so not great, just the way Iowa's offense is constructed right now. But he's such an electric player that I, you know, there's there hasn't been a player since Wadley. I think my overall point is as soon as he gets the ball in his hands in space, it's like the excitement level is so high. Yeah, I mean, with Charlie Jones, I think if there's like a a player from this team that has a credible case for why didn't I get the ball more I think the top of the list is almost certainly Charlie Jones like I think he's you know they put him back there for kick and punt returns and he delivers more often than not I but yeah like somehow they don't use him enough on offense but he's he is maybe Iowa's best playmaker on this team which feels wild i mean keegan johnson ultimately i think he's made too many just incredible plays and you could even put arlen bruce in there but i think from an underutilization standpoint i think jones has probably not been maxed out from a a, an ability standpoint and that feels crazy to say because he's he's done so much for this team as it is 
<clears throat> Kirk has always been so hesitant to put a dynamic playmaker as punter kick returner. You know, he did it with Desmond King, obviously, but I, I can't remember a time where I don't think I don't think they even used Wadley on punt and kick return, did they? Um, maybe they did on kick, but definitely not punt. Like they they would have like Max Cooper back there, or I think Vanderbilt, just somebody sheer-handed, you know, um, and not somebody with the up, you know, Jones obviously is sheer-handed and has that playmaking ability upside. Um, <clears throat> I, I I guess you know I, I don't know how how deep in the weeds you want to go with sort of recapping the Illinois game. Like the start was as bad as it could have gotten for kind of both sides of the ball, and then. I really think Phil's team only letting up a field goal. Phil's side of the ball letting up a field goal after the muffed punt, uh, punt after the muffed snap. Well, really, I think he kind of, it's funny, turned the game around. I think going down 14 uh, 0, even though Jones returned the subsequent quick for a touchdown, kick for a touchdown, going down 14 0 to Illinois with four minutes into the game just seemed like a Sisyphean. Sisyphean task, really, for this offense. And if Jones returns that kick for a touchdown, I don't know how this team digs out of that hole. I just don't. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, that was the consensus takeaway from the people that, that I was with, was that even though Iowa only got down by 10 points, I don't think a comeback happens without Charlie Jones really sparking it because they just weren't doing anything on offense. And it was a function of what felt like very boring play calling a function of not really getting anyone involved in creative ways. And then, I mean, the drops also felt bad. Um, You know, I, I think that Padilla had the chance to, to hit Laporta over the middle and it seems like, uh, Thad had the number. It was just four drops on the season for Laporta. And honestly, it feels like he's dropped a lot more passes than that. Um, so I think, you know, Iowa, from an offensive perspective, the Illinois was able to counter it. I mean, credit where it's due, right? Where, you know, they, they stopped the run uh, early on. They, you know, forced Iowa into bad positions and, but they weren't able to capitalize. And I mean, that, that gets back to like Kirk Ferentz's, oh, this is a 60-minute game, right, where anything can happen to turn the tide of a game. And offensively, it was – it just felt so rudimentary. Um, but like I said, you kind of look up at it and, oh, Goodson ended up with 130 yards on the ground. And it, it felt like it could have been 150 to 160. It seemed like – He's just been very up and down with kind of the lanes he's taken. There was one time it looked like he probably should have had a 30 to 40 yard run by what I saw. It ended up being like 20, but it seemed like he took one lane when it could have gone the other way. And, you know, I mean, uh, you take what you can get, but just offensively when the pass game is like it was on Saturday, it's tough to be, it's tough to keep the change moving. It's tough to accumulate a ton of yards. And then when you look at it and it's like, Oh, I will also had a hundred yard punt return. Those aren't offensive yards. I'm not going to say, Oh, Iowa would have had 75 yards on that possession because what leading up to that point would make us feel like, yeah, I was going to score here. Um, 
it just this ecosystem enables Brian Ferentz to be as bad as he is. And that's kind of what I said very early on was this ecosystem enabled Iowa's offense to do the bare minimum. And now we're at the point where like, is it the bare minimum because it's the ecosystem or is it the bare minimum because that's all Iowa can do? And I think we have enough rope or uh, not (laughs) rope. Sorry. That's a weird word to use, but like, I think we have enough on tape and we get back to what, what you said, right? How much of this season would we put on, on Brian Ferentz's, uh, uh highlight reel? Maybe three, three or four plays? Plays or games? Plays. Oh, my gosh. I mean, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I was gonna, I'd give him the whole Maryland game, I suppose, but <laughs> – I, I don't know how much of that is applied. Now I've got a truck going past my window. As, as much of that is a function of Maryland now that we're seeing them turn into a pumpkin. I mean, plays, yeah, I guess. I think I tweeted how the, I think the Arlen Bruce touchdown was a great play. Um, and then I guess, I don't know what else stands out. <laughs> Honestly, to me, really, I want to go back a little bit to sort of your ecosystem take. Um, and some the, starting with the drops you mentioned with Laporta, because I'm kind of, you know, obviously I'm not glad they happened, but I'm glad that these drops are happening because I think it's time we can finally put a rest to a trope we've been trotting out since the Nate Stanley era. And do you know what that is? Oh boy, what's that? That the quarterback's been putting too much zip on the ball. Because we said that about Nate Stanley, and I kind of believed it then. And then we said it about Petrus. And I didn't really believe it as much then, but I wanted to believe it. And now we're saying about Alex Padilla. Just put it to bed. It is dead. Oh, you, the quarterback is throwing the ball too hard and it hits the receiver in the hands. I'm done with that. And I don't want to blame, you know, and, and like all these drops are happening on third down and they're all happening over the middle. Nico Regani, Nico Regani, he's dropped, he dropped two against Illinois and at least one against, um, who did we play two weeks ago? Uh, Minnesota. No, he dropped no, no, uh, in the Minnesota game and probably North and Northwest, oh, yeah, Northwest, yeah, yeah, Northwest yeah. he had the fumble, and like that Northwestern fumble, that was like the best. No, I think this was against Minnesota the fumble. He that was like the best pass you could have asked for. He put that ball where nobody else could have caught it. Like I, and not to say I think Padilla is some great quarterback, but it's like you know, drops have just been, always been a problem for Iowa receivers, and it's I'm done blaming the quarterback on these drops. I just am. So I want to put that to bed. I want to put that to rest now. Second thing kind of brought up is the, I think beginning of the year, we were not beginning of the year throughout the past few weeks, we kind of been blaming Goodson's like running back vision a little bit on why he's not doing a little bit better. And it's like, I, I wanted to believe that too. And then I think someone in our Slack, Rob, was like, you know, that he put in some stills of the offensive line holes or, or lack of holes, rather, maybe, and let's talk about, you know, they're just really, what, like, what do you expect Goodson to do here? There really isn't anything. And I'm going back, and I was watching, I watched the first quarter of the Ohio State-Michigan State game. You've got the best one or 1A best running back in college football right now, in college, Kenneth Walker. And 
the Michigan State offensive line is probably above average. Michigan's the Ohio State defensive line that's probably one or one A defensive line in college football, right? Or it's not not one A. Georgia is unquestionably number one. Two, yeah. And Kenneth Walker was just able to make mountains out of molehills with the blocking, and that's just a Heisman caliber running back. And that's just not what you know. As much as we want Tyler Goodson to be, he's just not that. You know, at least not this year. And so I think I picked him to be a Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year in our preseason rankings. And that's just, you know, so maybe, again, we just have to take him for who he is. And I'm not ready to, to blame his lack of production on bad eyesight, you know. Um, he's and, just, and I, think, I think that's a fair way to frame it. And, like, you still look at it, right? And he – five yards of carry. You take that, right? I mean, like, so, so – uh, I am looking at the mole on Cindy Crawford in this one. And so I think those two things, three things are again, part of this ecosystem of sort of the way we're talking about, like, listen, I'm not giving Brian the benefit of the doubt here. He's the first person to blame and point the finger, but like, all these things are happening in a bubble wide receiver drops you know, maybe the offense puts up seven to 10 more points. If we catch just one of those balls or two of those balls, maybe we put up seven to 10 more points. If Kyler Goodson is able to make an absolutely incredible, not, not even just hit a hole better, but is able to just squeeze out of two tacklers the way Kenneth Walker Jr. Does. It's just like, this is a sport of football and we just sort of have to take it you know, as it is like, this is the hand we're being dealt. And the things that were my overall point is the things that were, we were seeing the things, the, the moles are pointing out have been on this team for as long as I've been a fan of them, the drops going back, like the, you know, we've been, we've been putting the zip on the ball is my overall point. You know, it's like, we're trying out the same excuses or reasons for why we're losing to the exact same reason. And we're changing the players. Like why I don't understand why, as fans or commentators or critics, like w- why we're letting that fly. Oh, in a way, does this like justify the way Kirk Ferentz has constructed the ecosystem? Like if he, cause from his perspective, right. I mean, he's looking at it. Ha- we're only able to recruit a ceiling on skill talent and part of the lower ceiling on that is more likely to drop the ball call that one thing right part of it is they don't have the perfect combination of you know vision plus size plus speed for for a running back so he's built it in a way where not offensive performance is gravy but in a way that it feels like offensive performance is gravy because the names on the back of the jerseys change. But to your point, the same issues remain. And Kirk knows if I'm going to build a sustainable team, I can't rely on the sustainability of skill positions. Like DJK and Marvin McNutt were the two of the best wide receivers to ever come through Iowa. At the same time, you go back 10 years before him, more or less, 
you know, where you had like Kevin Casper, you had Mo Brown, um, CJ Jones, all kind of within uh, a tight succession. But, you know, the, the abilities within those gaps, and, and I think Iowa's wide receiver recruiting has come a long way. Um, I, I think the talent in that room is higher than it's been since maybe any point um, since Mark McNutt, but it is still not so reliable that you can sustain it. And like, again, like I, I hesitate to be like, oh, the fact that Iowa can't recruit kids that catch the ball is the reason that Iowa's offense stinks. Well, it's Iowa's offense to still build. It's Iowa's job to still build a successful offense. But Kirk Ferentz has created this ecosystem knowing the constraints of his program that maybe it does kind of make a little more sense as much as it sucks. It's it, uh, You're shaking your head. Please because, accost me. Because <laughs> the problem is, I think my, I can really articulate better. It's like the problems are incredibly predictable. You know, you're saying that the names on the back of the jersey has changed. And like, so does that give Kirk a pass? No, it makes it even worse because <laughs> he, he knows he's able to see the, this, the, like, again, we always say we've seen this movie before, seeing these problems coming a mile away. He knows that we, we've known that. And I, like, why can't he change? I guess, I don't know, not to blame like talent of the players, but it's like he knows that he can't get a Chris Olave to come. And he knows DJK was a once in a generation talent, or McNutt was, and McNutt was a quarterback even. So he got even luckier there uh, with the way he, he per- you know what I mean, though? <laughs> And like, so yeah. to make it even worse is like you're seeing coaches nowadays who are able to create schemes and offensive game plans that totally and completely avoid making the mistakes that this offense has made before. Not to say like you can avoid having a receiver with a case that drops or avoid having a once in a generation talent or running back or a Heisman caliber running back every year. But still, like, there's just got to be ways where you can minimize mistakes that are happening, and I, we haven't seen anything. That's like that's what makes me angry. Is like with the names on the back of the jersey thing, and you said, you know, reaching the glass ceiling recru- recruiting. I think he's broken that glass ceiling. I was telling Thad how crazy it is to see Iowa had two four star wide has two four star wide receivers on the roster right now, and Keegan Johnson, and Arlen Bruce. That's never happened before since I've been. Has that ever happened before? Ever? You probably, you probably. I mean, I don't know how long star rankings have existed, but you, you have to go back a long time right. for, for that to have been the case. So that I think that goes against sort of that too with Kirk. It's like the glass ceiling has been broken. You know, Tyler Goodson was a fringe four star recruit, and um, you know, I think there's some. There could be. You know, we could have a five star coming in this year, right in in Nawakpa. I don't know how you pronounce his last name. Wakpa. Oh yeah. Well, for safety. Yeah. So it's like the the that that dog don't hunt for me because if you're you're bringing in such great talent but still posting eight and five nine and nine and three records or whatever, then uh, something's got to give. And this goes back. Well, I mean, this I- go and just real quick. This just goes back to how angry I was last week when that 2018 team had 14 NFL players on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you kind of distilled it in a in a great way because you're looking at it from like Cooper DeGene. Cooper DeJean. 
Uh, I think he should pronounce it Dijon. Get a mustard deal. There you go. Um, he he should probably be playing offense and being maxed out in that respect. And I'm pleasantly surprised that they're trying him at cornerback because I think that is a way, according to the depth chart, it looks like he's at cornerback because that looks like a way to max out an athlete. It just would feel so boring if he went and was like, and this is credit to the Jack Kerners of the world. Quinn Schulte played, or Bryce Schulte, I think Bryce Schulte, the, the kid who filled in behind him, played fine. It's it's a discredit to these kids because they are very good at playing free safety. But the fact that Cooper DeGene looked like he, he was going to be the free safety that can be occupied by pick your walk-on from Iowa was going to be the most boring use for him. And I think the fact that he's looking like a cornerback, maybe that gives him maybe a beeline to cash. It's an interesting prospect that I'm pleasantly surprised to see, but I'm also, you're not maxing out your best athletes on offense. And that's, that's your point. Like, and this is how you end up with defensive backs with incredible hands because (laughs) they know the path to the NFL at Iowa for a player of their caliber is to play defense. This reminds me of when I was covering that horrible 2012 team where, you know, the unquestionably, like not only the best player, like the only good player on that team was like Micah Hyde. <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah. thinking about, and you're, and we're going back to, I think 2011, that that team then had really that they had offensive problems too. And it was really like, Micah, it feels so foolish to say now because Micah Hyde is having quietly a really great NFL career as a defensive back. Yes. Like, re- like really, really great. But at the time, it was like, you know that in a couple years, your number one receiver is going to be Riley McCarron, and you're not giving Micah nothing against Riley McCarron, who got a chance in the NFL, <laughs> but now I think is a CPA or something. But you know that that's how the wide receiver room was looking, and you have a guy like Micah Hyde back there and he's like he's just playing like they couldn't even figure at the time they couldn't figure out if it was a safety or a corner even or it's like remove that remove that problem and make him a wide receiver and he's automatically your biggest weapon on offense not and again this is i think micah hyde's not a great comparison again because he's been such a good but maybe that's just like speaks to how they are maximizing just the potential usage out of out of the, these talented players and i don't know enough about this cooper DeGene fellow cooper DeJean fellow to be angry but i'm just a little bit ups not f- upset but scared where if his first meaningful action is going to be as a true freshman is going to be at corner then he's stuck there he shoot he's pigeonholed into play corner for the next four years then won't even consider moving around because like and i understand why like not broke, don't fix it. He's done so great at corner. Why do we even try to try him out at safety or receiver? And then maybe he, he screws himself up because he's trying, trying to do too much at once with one guy, which I can, you know, I don't know, if, know enough about coaching, if that's a real thing, if that's a real problem. But like, you know, it's just a little bit, unf- you know, and it's also like we should remember too, like that's happening with Cooper because Terry Roberts and Matt Hankins have both been hurt. So like he's really option number That's four, not like option number four or five break break glass in case of an emergency type of thing happening with him. Um, so you know there there are, there's so many things that go into a decision like that probably, but it's just you know again not something we haven't seen before. 
But I mean, I think maybe the Cooper Dijon comparison with Riley Moss. Like Riley Moss is an incredible track athlete. And immediately the thought is just defensive back. And this is like, we're speaking out of both sides of our mouth, right? Because historically we praise Phil Parker and his ability to one find talent, like the Riley Mosses of the world and two turn them into really good defensive backs. So like, let's set that aside. But the fact that like, the battles are not necessarily won on the offensive side of the ball for where the talent should be outside of like the back and forth you'll see between the offensive and defensive lines. Like I think Logan Lee was one who was going to be a tight end. Looks like a pretty good defensive tackle now. Uh, Tyler Lindbaugh, Linderbaum, yeah. you know, started defensive tackle, immediately became Iowa's starting center for three years. Like I, I, But you don't see necessarily like a give and take um, at the skill positions that you do within the trenches. And I think it's ultimately it's how Iowa can build a sustainably great defense, which they look like they're going to be right. I mean, they're top 10 in scoring defense again. Um, but man, like, it, I guess what, what needs to happen for like the offense to be more sustainably good because clearly you can't just be like, oh, the offensive line is just going to be an Iowa offensive line. Um, because that that was kind of the case in the mid to late 2000s where it's like, oh, the offensive line will be the offensive line. But now we see, you know, one guy gets drafted every two years and there isn't necessarily another the guy there uh, in the way that existed in the past. And and it starts and ends with Brian. I mean, it really does. Like you, you do the line of demarcation, and Iowa's offensive line draft drafting ability um, went way down. Although I think the ceiling did go up from a perspective of first round talent. So um, again, speaking out of both sides of the mouth, it's not even a problem. It's not even. It's an issue to not only Iowa football coaches with their players when they're here. I look at Matt Nelson and Parker Hesse who are both in the NFL, playing positions, <laughs> playing different sides of the ball. Matt Nelson, I think I think Matt Nelson started a few games for the Lions this year as an offensive lineman, and Hesse is a, is a number three tight end, I think, for, you know, the Titans and a starting special teams guy. So <laughs> it's pretty crazy, I guess. That takes away from my point a little bit just about how tough it is to freaking project these guys. It's just interesting. Like, I mean, like, I think Kirk, at the end of the day, he's going to view this season as a rousing success. I think even if Iowa finishes up 9-3, and three, we haven't even gotten started talking about the Nebraska game. <laughs> like, it, it, whether Iowa finishes 9-3 and three or 10-2, and two, it's going to be viewed as 100% of success. And honestly, it's just going to – it's going to justify the way they played this season. It's going to justify stringing the Petri, the Petrus thing out as long as it did. It's going to justify, honestly, not even considering going back to P- Petrus now. Like, I mean, Padilla looks like the guy. Um, the offseason will be interesting. But, like, the success of this team from a win-loss perspective is just simply going to feed in. It's like garbage in, garbage out. 
but it just continually, oh, you 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 see that you had success with it, so let's just keep doing it. When you know maybe maybe the offensive line does get better, but you're going to be losing t- Tyler Linderbaum, so um, that's not as ideal a circumstance. But um, may- maybe we put a bow on that discussion and, and turn to uh, Nebraska a little bit. The Padilla toothpaste just has to be out of the tube there. I mean, like you can't, yeah. you can't go back to Petrus and then, I mean, pivoting to Nebraska heard an incredible stat yesterday is, do you know? Oh yes. So Nebraska, I think is what three and eight or three and seven, whatever. I don't know what the total is. They have three wins on the year and their only conference one is against Northwestern. I think, right? Yes. You, oh yeah, I know where you're going. Do you know what their points differential is in Big Ten games this year in conference? Tell me. It's plus seven. They've outscored opponents by seven points overall. Do you know what Michigan State's is? And this is after their loss to Ohio State. Oh boy, what is it? They're plus six. So Nebraska, <laughs> could, if if Iowa wins, if Iowa beats Nebraska by six or fewer points on Friday, they will end the season with three wins and a differential better than most teams in the Big Ten. Um, we should say now that Adrian Martinez is out for the game. They've got a four-star recruit, or maybe he's in a five-star even. His name's what, Logan something? Logan Lucky? Smothers. Logan Smothers. Smothers. Logan Smothers from Oh, Alabama. Logan Lucky. That's a pull. Uh, I mean, it's not that old of a movie. Another good Adam Driver flick. Uh, I just think of another similar stat. Not, again, to bring up Matt Nagy, is <laughs> his record or like quarterbacks who backup quarterbacks were put in for the Bears. So it goes back to um, Andy Dalton uh, on Sunday. Um, Chase Daniel against the Vikings a few years ago, and then there's another backup quarterback I can't remember. And they all have passer ratings of over over 110 when they go in against the teams because teams couldn't prepare for this crappy backup. You know, I can't believe why. Why do you think Scott Frost divulged so early that Adrian Martinez isn't going to be their starter? That is a fantastic question. Um, do you think he just would have gotten out and he was getting ahead of it? I think probably there's some amount of getting ahead of it. Maybe not in terms of like, oh, we need to cover it up. Not cover up is the wrong word, but like, oh, we need to keep this under wraps. I think more of it is a function of this is a kid who put blood, sweat, and tears into the program who his senior day needs to be viewed through that lens and properly preparing kind of, and I mean like Nebraska sucked while Adrian Martinez was quarterback, but he was undoubtedly an electric player and undoubtedly was their best option at quarterback for four years. Well, I guess your mileage may vary on undoubtedly, but he, he put a lot into that program. I think part of it was not pulling the rug out from under him on sat on Friday, but strategically in a sport that appreciates these types of information as state secrets, I was blown away by that because you know what Kirk Ferentz did when his quarterback got injured 
with the shoulder injury against Wisconsin. He still started in right. this game. Right. <laughs> well, and I'm thinking about too, we didn't know Matt Hankins and Jack Kerner were going to be starting, we're going to be out for the game until an hour before. And that was their mm-hmm. senior day, senior day. And those guys put blood, sweat, and I understand the quarterback positions elevated. Right. right. But Kerner is as classic because a Hawkeye you get walk on, yeah. safety from the state of Iowa, and now has a better than outside chance of making the NFL. In my opinion, I mean, part of it might have been just when they got injured too. Like, I mean, I, right. I think the the fact they could have gotten injured in practice, they, I have no idea. Practice injuries, yeah. yeah, yeah. Especially if it was a practice after Kirk meets with the media on Tuesday. Like, I mean, yeah. nothing's going to get out unless you see the unless you troll the message boards that aren't black heart gold pants. And I think Kerner's, he, I think he was on the two deeps this week. Wasn't he? Hankins wasn't. Hankins isn't playing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they made it seem like Hankins is a, like for as good a season as Hankins had for probably what, eight, nine games, he had two stinkers, but I'm very happy for him because he seemed like a guy who really raised his draft stock with the decision to return for, I think it was the fifth year for him. Maybe it was the sixth, um, five. Uh, so happy for him. I'll, I'll miss him. But I think this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with cornerbacks. There's just going to be another one that we fall in love with. And hopefully, I mean, Hank, I won't, I won't be surprised what he does, but maybe he can be ready by the bowl game. Maybe he wants to sit it out and yeah. grass talk where it is. But if we play like a passing first team and he wants to get one more game of film on his tape for to make, hopefully elevate his stock. I'm all for it, and I won't be surprised again. That's more probably the Rob Donaldson bad question, but yeah. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I think that the Adrian Martinez thing, when you look at it from, from Iowa's perspective, my understanding of this quarterback may be a little more run first than Martinez, and, and that might just be a function of his age because Martinez was certainly a run first guy when he got to Nebraska. But I wonder if that in a way does make by inserting the decision or announcing that news, does it make it a little trickier for Iowa to defend? Because I was wondering if like by saying you're going to start Smothers, does it open up some of like the really old school running quarterback type of things where it's like option under center. They've run it before with, with Martinez, but if you come out, like put all of, because now you're not just putting eggs from this season into the basket. Because I think as Nebraska's season was kind of accumulating losses, you just looked to like the Wisconsin and Iowa games as they win those. Maybe they can salvage some amount of success from the season. But now by having smothers in, you're putting eggs into the basket of 2022 and, you know, increasing goodwill with Scott Frost, having something to talk about, feeling confident about a new quarterback. I wonder if maybe we see this free Scott Frost up to do more unique things offensively that maybe he wouldn't with, with Martinez. I mean, maybe now, not to bring him up again for the millionth time this podcast, we see <laughs> didn't Cooper DeGene play a little bit of quarterback in high school. Maybe we see him. We hear about yeah. him playing scout team quarterback <laughs> this year, right? Like those, those are the type of classic – 
stereotypes you hear yeah. going into a gameless game like this. I pulled up Logan Smothers is two four seven, and I think he was like the number twelve overall quarterback in in recruiting, but number three or number four scrambling quarterback or, or running quarterback. I can't remember what term they used, but like. I mean, that, that scares me a little bit because that's always been Phil's Achilles heel is how to go. You know, I am encouraged that he's 18, 19 years old, but at the same time too. And also I actually did write last thing I've written down here, not to say we're ending soon because this has gone on forever. We can, we can continue to go on, but my prediction beginning of the year is Adrian Martinez isn't going to be playing against Iowa. <laughs> right. Don't you remember that? <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. And I yeah. was right. You were right, Ben. You're right. You're right. Yeah, I mean, I don't really want to belabor it. I think we got a lot of good, especially as we think about this as like a a podcast over the holidays, you know, having something that's maybe a little more wide ranging is probably better. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think from, from a Nebraska standpoint, like the things that scare me are still the things that scare me. Um, I think their defense against Iowa's offense is something that's, concerning after we've seen a Padilla-led offense. And really, again, as you said, starts and end with Ryan. Like, but 19 points, 25 points, 17 points, not high numbers. So, um, yes, I t- I, yes, I took away the special team and defensive touchdowns. As I you apologize. should, yeah. Um, but... If Nebraska can avoid the really dumb mistakes, and if Iowa doesn't push the envelope, it's Iowa very easily could lose it, lose this game as Vegas expects them to. But Vegas sets the line to get even money on both sides, and not not because they actually think Nebraska is going to win. Uncle Ben got Iowa plus four before the news came out um you dirty dog well um, is it how i don't I, I understand no i don't actually i don't understand how adrian martinez is worth five points in las vegas wait i was now or my favored by one or minus one now i'll double as of last night i was i'll look one more time right now but as of last night i was minus one that must just be a function of money coming in so heavy on iowa because it Martinez was worth two and a half to three. Minus one and right. a half. I was minus one and a half now. Oh. <laughs> and the over-under is 41. Not that that matters. But. Brutal. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> where, so, where were you? Adrian Martinez worth a touchdown, yeah. basically. I guess. It's fine. Whatever. I mean, I guess that's the, the sentiment to le- to leave this on. Where are you watching uh, the game? Uh, I will be watching it with my family down here in a nice setup that they have. Big TV, tiny room, so it'll mm. smell disgusting by the end yeah, of it, nice. like it always does. Um, but no, I mean, that, that'll that be it. How about you? You still pool bar in it? No, I will be going to the iClub official watch party in downtown Scottsdale. It will be my third third game that ever seen ever third time ever visiting there for an Iowa football game. That's a blast. It's at this bar called hi-fi in downtown Scottsdale. And um, I'm not sure I've never been there for a black Friday game, but, uh, and I've actually got some friends from Chicago whose parents also one of his, his parents, they also moved here 
Um, and so he's here with his wife. I like to call it. They're the same couple I watched the Minnesota game with. And uh, this will be their first time at this at this uh, watch party. It's a lot of fun. I'm really excited. Looking forward to it. I'm a little nervous, so I texted them like three hours ago to confirm our plans, and they haven't responded yet. They're notoriously bad texters. There's a couple even, but maybe I'll go alone either way. Either way. Probably not. Either way. Probably so if, you see, if you see Ben at Hi-Fi in Scottsdale, Arizona, give him a nice tip of the cap. <laughs> After all, he is a myth. And buy me a bucket of beers. And not a legend. <laughs> buy him a bucket of beers. So that is it. That is it. Um, so yeah, a- a- any final thoughts you want a prediction other than just another victory lap that you're correct that Adrian Martinez went and play against Iowa, I, I th- which now that we're here was a morbid prediction that yeah, certainly you feel a little well, bad about being right, I wasn't right on morbid. Cause it's like just the way that the way he was being used and rather abused. That's not my fault. <laughs> I wasn't trying to will that into it. I, if anything, I was trying to vo- I, by talking about it. I was trying oh, reverse to, jinx. Yes. No, I was trying to yeah. tell Scott Frost to fucking protect him better or use him better or smarter. <laughs> uh, so I don't think it was that morbid. Um, prediction, I mean, no, I really don't. The problem with this is nothing surprises me. It's at – I would have been very, very nervous if this would have been win number six potentially for Nebraska – to put them into bowl contention, but it's not. Do I believe in it? Will it'll be like the Lions Bears game on Thursday, where both teams have obviously given up? Um, I don't know. I don't. It just it, a lot of it. I don't know. I don't know what to expect out of the crowd in Nebraska. Um, just lots of different things that play. I think Iowa wins. I think we see. But I, I, I don't think we see anything different out of. I don't think we put up forty points. I think it's a. I think it's too it's too close. I think it's still a close game in the fourth quarter, but Iowa squeaks it out. I will say that I think the way the two seasons played out for these the, these teams makes this a far more compelling game than if Iowa and Nebraska had both been like six and four, seven and five type of teams. Like the fact that Iowa is staring down the barrel of a 10-win team despite being caught seven or eight-win talent-wise, caught some breaks, and heavy metal lawyer correctly called me out on this. Breaks happen, right? I mean, they, they just do. So, like, that Iowa is on the, the good side of them on balance happens all over the place. But I think the fact that Iowa's 9-2, and two, Nebraska's 3-8, and eight, this is genuinely much more compelling than if they were two seven and six teams or seven and four teams competing over who gets to go to Nashville. Um, Nebraska can put the nail in the coffin on Iowa's divisional title hopes, which would inevitably mean that Wisconsin loses to Minnesota. Um, So, that's my prediction there, but I, I think I will win. Scott Frost has made it tricky, and we have to get back to your stat one last time, barring uh, whoever mm-hmm. Iowa's mm-hmm. bowl opponent is. I just need to see Scott Frost or a coach who hasn't beaten Kirk Ferentz beat Kirk Ferentz before I predict against him beating Kirk Ferentz. So a tight one. Nebraska loses in another dispiriting way more than Iowa wins in a 
inspiring way. I think those are those are opposites. But ten and two is ten and two, and we're all going to be mad online out after it. I'm glad you brought up mad online. So I was going to say I want to end with the fun thing about this game, though, is if Iowa does lose, I will be angrier after that loss than I will have been under any outcome this year, without question. An Iowa loss this yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. It'll be if Iowa loses. It doesn't matter in which fashion. If Iowa loses this game, I'll be the angriest I've been all season. And maybe that's counterintuitive. Yeah. Maybe that's dumb. Or maybe I'm just predicting. I'm calling my shot yeah. again. Again. Alrighty. So, so there it is, Ben. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, I will talk to you on the flip side. Mm-hmm. And uh, go Hawks. Fuck Turkey. <laughs>